Thank you, brother. That was a great sermon he preached a while ago. And I thought, if he takes another minute, I'm going to have a problem. I, I was already eating my hotcakes twice this morning because he preached a good sermon that I had prepared for us this morning. It's going to be an unusual message this morning, but I think it's one that every once in a while we need to, we need to hear because we're not hearing a lot of it in our country today, and it's sad, as Brother West said, there's a lot of hatred and a lot of bitterness in our country today that is unbelievable, and those of us who've lived for a while to understand that. But if I could title the message this morning, it would be America and God. Over in Psalm 33, verse 12, David said, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he had chosen for his own, his own inheritance. And the question is this, as Brother West alluded to that, is God the Lord of our nation? Solomon added in Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So God punishes nations that sin, and he protects those nations that are, are faithful. And we look into our past and see how God started this nation, how he blessed our nation, how he took care of us through the world wars and all the problems we felt we dealt with in our country, that God indeed blessed America. But we need to ask ourselves, is this going to keep going? Can God bless America? Well, God does deal with nations. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 says, let every soul that be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. The powers is, is the word for government. Government is here, God's ordained them, and God sets up nations and takes down nations, Daniel tells us. And Daniel spends a lot of time telling us about the nations and what's happening. Interesting verse in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 9. Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Now here is a wicked, cruel, vicious king who, when he attacked, he destroyed everything in its way, and yet God says he's going to be my servant. And there are often times in the scriptures in our history that God uses little nations to go and attack big nations and destroy them, and God says, I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar to bring chaos to the nation of Israel because of their sin. Well, first of all, I want to say that America has a great heritage. We're celebrating today the 245th anniversary of the founding of our country, the signing of the Declaration of Independence somewhere between 2 and 4 of July. And some call this the great experiment, the beginning of the great experiment. Others, and this is what I believe, this is the birthday of our nation. Now, there's some today who are trying to get rid of our history and, and cancel it out. They want to put another date onto it. But I'm convinced that 1776, July 4th, 245 years ago, was the birthday of our nation. John Adams, in a letter to his wife Abigail about July 4th, wrote, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be comm commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts, of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows and games and sports and guns and bells and bonfires and illuminations that from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward. And we've done that all the, over the years. And yet the last year, some of us have been upset 
over the changes in, in our country that we don't remember this. And I'm convinced that we're never going to see the America that most of us grew up in and had the freedoms that we had. And, and this younger generation doesn't know what we went through. They don't know what some of you fought for in, in the wars of, of America and are panicking because where is this going to lead us? Are we ever going to come back to God? Are we ever going to come back to what we remembered? In 2011, 84% of Americans believe that this is the greatest country to live in. Today, only 69% believe that. There's been a big change in our love for America. And, and it, like Sir Walter Scott wrote, breeds there a man with soul so dead who never to himself has said, this is my own, my native country. I saw on the news the other day, three ladies that were standing in a, on a podium uh, in the trials for the Olympics. Two of them had their hands over their heart, looking at the flag and listening to the, all, the, to the national anthem was sung. And one turned her back against the flag and put a T-shirt over her head that says, activist athlete. Later on, she would say, I do not respect the flag. I do not respect the alma mater. And I thought, this is the height of gratitude ingratitude. This woman lives in a country that brought her to this point that she could reach to the top of the line in sport and yet she hates this country. I read about a transgender who wants to go to the Olympics and is heading there and wants to win so she could stand on the podium at the end and burn the American flag. That's what we're living in America today and it's sad that we've come to this. American colonies were founded for Christian purposes. Our young people in government schools aren't taught that today. They're taught that they came over here for money, to make lots of money, and, and they did have to work, and they did have an idea of making money, of course, but, but the history tells us why they came. Let me show it to you. And what other country in all of the world has had a beginning like our beginning? Unfortunately, much of it is not taught in our schools today, and unfortunately, much of what I'm going to tell you this morning about the founding of our country is illegal in our, in our schools today. Teachers could not even give these quotations in our schools. The pilgrims came to America from Holland to Plymouth, England, to Plymouth, England, in the, in the USA. Hannah and the kids and I were in Holland and we decided we wanted to see the church or the Kirk where the pilgrims left from Holland. And so we uh, asked somebody, how can we get to the church? Uh, and he was an important person in the city that we just happened to meet. And we'd rented a car from Germany, and, and uh, he said, why do you want to go there? I said, well, we're, we uh, understand the pilgrims left there years ago to go to America. He said, you'll never find it. It was really nasty. I thought, good grief. Uh, this is something he said. He saw the car and saw the German on the back, German license plate. He said, you're Germany, aren't you? I said, no, sir. We're from America. America, we love you. He hugged me and hugged us all. Germany sent us bombs. You sent us money. I'll take you to the church. He took us down these roads, took us to the church, got the key so we go in and see the church. And it's sometimes nice to be an American. A lot of times it isn't, but sometimes nice to be an American. They were Christians. I've read the biography several times of John Robinson, the pastor of these people that got on those ships and sailed over for 65 days into this new world. They came in search of freedom for religion, and they were persecuted and harassed in England. The Church of England had come to the point where it's almost like the Roman Catholic Church back then, and these Bible-believing Christians couldn't handle all the problems they were having. They were beaten, they were fined, their possessions were taken from them, they were put in prison, and they 
were frustrated over this lack of ability to serve the Lord. So they came over here. Now there's a difference in pilgrims and Puritans. We sort of connect those two words, but they're not the same. The pilgrims came over here in 1620, and the Puritans came over here starting in 1630. The, 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 the pilgrims were separatists. They wanted to separate from the Church of England. They said, there's no way of helping this. It's already gone. We want to get out of it and start all over again. They are the forefathers of the independent Baptists who are separatists. The Puritans wanted to purify the church. They didn't want to leave the, the Anglican church. They wanted to purify it. So a big difference in both of them. So on September in 1620, 102 pilgrims left Holland and came here after being there 12 years. And the reason they left Holland to come to the New World was because their children were being influenced by the culture of Holland. They said, we cannot have that. A lot of it in the world today. In fact, it was the president of Argentina who said, the difference between North and South America is that the Spaniards came to South America in search of gold and the pilgrims went to North America in search of God. Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. We've been there several times since we lived in New England and the history back behind there. In December, mid-December 1620, in the voyage of 65 years, and before the year was out, half of those that landed in there were dead. It's a place. And just before coming to Plymouth and landing, before they got off the ship, they got together and they voted in what they call the Mayflower Compact. Here's what it said. In the name of God, amen. We have undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith a voyage to plant the first colony in the parts of Virginia. That's where they were supposed to be. We do this solemnly and mutually in the presence of God. And in 1630, they wrote the New England Federation that says, we all have come into these parts with one and the same end, namely to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not how taught our government schools today. They came here for money, not to advance the kingdom of God. Lewis Evans was the pastor of the Presbyterian National Church in Washington, D.C., uh, born 1926, died 2008. And many of our presidents went there, attended there as church. Here's what he said. Our history has been inseparable from Christianity. The pilgrims landed in Plymouth in the name of Christ. The kiss of God has been upon us as we have grown from national babyhood to what we trust would be young madhood. And Daniel Webster, whose brother was Noah Webster, who wrote the dictionary. I tried reading the dictionary one time, but the stories were so short I got bored with them. <laughs> Noah Webster grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, the town I pastored for 35 years. Drove by his statue many times. Brilliant man, a wonderful Christian. And his brother Daniel said this, Our ancestors established their system of government on morality and religious sentiment. Moral habits, they believe, cannot safely be trusted on any other foundation than religious principle, nor any government be secure which is not supported by moral habits. Whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. America also was founded on the fact that the God of the Bible is the true God. America is founded as a Christian nation. Thomas Jefferson, who's accused of being a, an atheist and a racist, but I don't see that as I study history, he wrote the Declaration of Independence that says, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. 
They recognized that the laws of nature came from God, not from government. He goes on, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, we're not created equal. None of us are. We're, some of us have skills that others do not, but spiritually we are. And that's what they were talking about back then. God has created all of us with a spiritual being, with something that beats within us that's going to live somewhere forever, either heaven or hell, and we're created with that that choice, to make that choice in our life. He goes on, and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. We need to realize that our forefathers said government doesn't give us rights. Their job is to protect our rights. The rights are endowed to us by God, and the freedoms that our forefathers built into the Constitution, into the Bill of Rights, and that they fought and died for were freedoms that God gave us, and we're seeing them wiped away so rapidly today that it frightens us. These founders believed that men were created not involved. By the way, there's an agency in the government, it'll, it'll go on to the other agencies, that they are, they are not allowed to use the term founding fathers in any direction they have. Unalienable, our rights come from God. The Declaration concludes, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general, Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude, moral behavior of our intentions. They signed in the fear of God, and they gave everything they had to do it. They lost their possessions. Many of them lost their lives, lost their families. But they said it was worth it for us. So they started into the Constitution. Constitution certainly is one of the greatest man-made documents that's ever been written. It's been a great constitution, although today we're seeing that some in our country don't even believe it anymore, and we're seeing laws passed that are contrary to the constitution, and we just hope that somebody could slow it down. Benjamin Franklin said, who is, of course, accused of being an unbeliever, who his favorite preacher was John, whoever he was, uh, he said, I could be a mile away from him and, and, and hear, him, hear him preach. And uh, he said, I, I left most of my money home because every time I went to see him, he, he ended up taking all my money because he was glad to do it. But he said this, I have lived long, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing truths I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers employing the assistance of heaven and its blessing be held in the assembly every day. They agreed, and they decided that every morning the Congress would start with prayer. Interesting that this day when they signed the Declaration of Independence on July the 4th or July the 2nd, somewhere in those three days, King George, in his diary, wrote, nothing happened today. Interesting. Our founding fathers wanted God to be recognized in our nation. Not denominations. Our, our, our country is not basically for denominations. In fact, when I lived in Connecticut, I studied the history of Connecticut, and the congregational church was the church, it was the state church until 1818. I mean, Baptist were thrown out of the state before that. Baptists, if they got caught a second time, had all stuck through their tongues so they couldn't preach. And it was a, there was still, it was religious freedom, even though it was a church. But what 
the, what our Constitution says and our Bill of Rights says, the state cannot, the government, federal government, cannot have a, a, a religion of its own, but it must allow others, the elected men sworn into office by oaths that recognize God as witness, atheists and infidels, they were not allowed to hold any offices in America. Far from it, we've come. And there's an unwritten law that government officials take their oath of office upon the Bible. And that has been pretty much so up until recently. One of our public leaders got his, did his oath on the Quran and showed the difference of that. So we're heading a long way away from the word of God. There's a chaplain assigned to Congress and Senate. Each session of Congress is opened with prayer because they wanted Forefathers wanted our leaders to seek the will of God in planning the, the direction of our nation. They provided for chaplains in the military service. They wanted God men to seek God when they went into battle. They provided that churches and Christian institutions were tax-free because they didn't want anything to hinder the growth of churches that were so important. And God we trust is engraved in all of our coins. We had a man in Connecticut that had a business he had a sign up that says, in God we trust, all others pay cash. <laughs> Good idea. In 1861, Reverend Walker, M.R. Walker, wrote a letter to the Secretary of the Treasury. Here's what he wrote. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. As a result, the Secretary of Treasury wrote to the, the director of the Mint, in 1861, requiring them to prepare a motto to our nation's coinage. Dear sir, he said, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe in his defense. The trust of our God and of our people in God should be declared on our national coin. So they begin to decide, what could our motto be? They came up with our trust is in God or our God and our country or God and our, or God and our country, God our trust. And they accepted the motto, in God we trust. And that became on our coins, started first in 1864, and then in, by 1909, <clears throat> many of our coins and currency had the term, in God we trust. And in 1955, President Eisenhower signed a law requiring it to be on all our coins and all of our currency. There's a move today to get rid of, in God we trust, on all of it. We have an annual Thanksgiving Day to just stop and thank God as a nation for all he's done to us all these years, how he's protected us through horrible wars and, and difficult times and cared for us. And every year, the president makes a proclamation to that end. So we've been known as a Christian nation. I, I like to study law. I have a paralegal uh, certificate. And there's so much in the law, especially further back, that is so much for God in our society. Back in 1892, the Supreme Court wrote this, our laws and institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise, and in a sense, and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. This is a religious people. This is historically true. From the discovery of the continent to the present hour, there is a single voice making this affirmation. We find everywhere a clear recognition of this truth that this is a Christian nation. Back in April of 2009, President Barack Obama, in a press conference with the 
Turkey's president said, we do not consider ourselves a Christian nation. Secularism is what made America great. The forefathers wouldn't believe that, and I don't believe it either. Congress passed the Bill of Rights in 1789. The First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, meaning that we're not going to have a, a state religion. England does. The Church of England is Church of the Anglican Church is the Church of England. We're not going to have that. But it goes on to say, or prohibiting the free exercise of, cannot keep us from praying, from worshiping, from doing things that God wants us to do, and the government is trying to stop that, and it's, it's helping, to, is encouraging us to do it. But that amendment says we have the right to do what we're doing. During the pandemic, there were some churches, pastors, who said, we're not going to stop having church. You're not going to set aside the Constitution because you have that. They didn't think of anything, well, well, you can set aside the Constitution for this or that. There was no this or that there. It was... You cannot stop churches from worshiping God. They cannot forbid Bible reading and prayer in the public schools. The only thing that they can do is make sure that the public schools don't coerce children to pray the prayer. But they can't stop it, but they have. And then great leaders favored Christianity. George Washington, I saw this morning that the three, the three best presidents was uh, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and... Uh, Roosevelt, uh, the best, and they chose the last three and now ignored them. But, but we have an iconic picture of Washington kneeling in the snow at Valley Forge. We've been there several times to Valley Forge, asking God's protection and blessings on his army that had no chance of ever winning. But God did bless, and they did win. A man traveling from South Carolina to New York when it was the capital asked somebody, said, how can I recognize George Washington? And he said, he's the man that kneels down to pray when they pray the congressional prayer. What a great man he was. Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine was a great help with his writings on revolution and liberty, and uh, his works spread out through the continent, and they were a great help in our leaders in setting the kind of constitution we want. But because he was an atheist, he was not allowed to hold any position in our government, though he wanted to, and he died a drunkard, penniless. Patrick Henry, he was concerned when he witnessed a Baptist preacher being beaten because he baptized a believer, and he said this, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of change? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. John Quincy Adams, son of John Adams, said on the sixth, 61st anniversary of the Declaration of Independence in 1837, said, Is it not that the, in the claim of human events, in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior, that it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the precepts of Christianity and gave to the world the first irrevocable pledge of the fulfillment of the prophets announced. Directly from heaven, at the birth of the Savior, and predicted by the greatness of the Hebrew prophets 600 years before. Francis Scott Key wrote our national anthem in 1812. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. 
and this is our motto, and God is our trust. These were people that believed in God. These were people that believed our country was founded upon the principles of Christianity. America is our national hymn. Recognizes God as our, our leader, written by Catherine Lee Bates. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God, our King. The first book printed in our country was, in 1640, was the whole book of Psalms. And as Brother West alluded to earlier, Alexis de Tocqueville, a leader in France, came over to America, and he said in 1831, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests, and it was that there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard the pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Thomas Jefferson, criticized as an atheist and a racist, said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. Abraham Lincoln was leaving home, Springfield, Illinois, to head to Washington to serve as president. Here's what he said. I leave now, not knowing when or whether ever I shall return, with a task far greater than that which <clears throat> resorted to the smolders of George Washington. Without the assistance of the divine being, <clears throat> without attend whoever attend him, I cannot succeed. What with that assurance, I cannot fail. <clears throat> Trusting in him who can go with me and, and remain with you and be everywhere for good, let us con confidently hope that all will be well. Woodrow Wilson sent New Testaments to every soldier that went into battle in World War II because he wanted them to know the power of the Savior. Dwight Eisenhower wrote a prayer, the prayer for his, his uh, inauguration. He says, Almighty God, as we stand here at this moment, my future associates in the executive branch of the government join me in beseeching that thou would make full and complete our dedication to the service of the people in this throng and their fellow citizens everywhere. Give us, we pray, the power to discern right from wrong. May we all work for the good of the beloved country and for their glory. Amen. Douglas MacArthur urged American churches to send thousands of missionaries to J Japan because he said they're so ready to hear the gospel. And when he left Japan to come home, he gathered all his military personnel together and taught them what was called the Romans Road. That he took verses from Romans and just explained to them as Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.8, God showed us his love in that he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Romans 10.9 and 10, if you confess your mouth to the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, thou shalt be saved. I listened to a video of Ronald Reagan. The interviewer said, Mr. Reagan, are you sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven? Mr. Reagan said, yes, I am. He said, what makes you so sure? And I watched him in the video to quote John 3.16. I'm convinced that these men were great men of God, that they wanted God's blessings on our nation, and they believed that our nation was a Christian nation. 
God has blessed America beyond other nations. I love America. I love to hear the Star Spangled Banner. I love to sing God Bless America and these songs that are about America. I love to preach about America. It's, it's a, a favorite place of mine. I've been to every state in the United States. I've been to 46 countries, and I've seen lots of things around the world. Never have I seen anything like America. Everything that I saw in other places, we have mountains and beaches and valleys and produce and all kinds of good things that we have in America. There's not a nation in the world that has what, what America had because God has blessed us. And the question still is, is God still the Lord of our nation? There's so much that we can have in America that no other nations have. Here's an interesting quote that I found recently. If you are at the poverty level of income in this country, you are at the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. And I've been in where poverty is. We walked down, we took a bunch of kids to Mexico on a missionary trip. We walked down a, a, a hill, a little path down to a, a village where the cornfield was on the side of the thing. The joke down there was, I fell out of this cornfield three times this week. And went down there, there was a bunch of people there, and were able to lead one of the ladies to the Lord. Their income was $300 a year. Went to the pastor's house. It was, it was a block house that was built, two rooms. One room was where they all slept, the pastor and his wife and his 13 kids. The other room was the kitchen that was black because all the cooking was done under open fire. Had a little church there, and, and uh, they took an offering, and I put an American dollar in the offering, and the offering that day was a dollar twenty-nine cents. They were poor, and we were delighted. We, we took a, a bag of a box of candy for them, and they'd never seen it. They just lived forever. Things that we enjoy, that we just throw on the side. Countries would just love to have. America is indeed a blessed country. God has blessed America. The luxuries we have, the beauty we see across America, the resources that we have, the, the oil and the gas and, and, and all the other things that we have, can't even begin to think of them, that God has abundantly blessed our country. A great blessing is that we don't have a state church, not yet. We don't have to get government permission to be here this morning. Christianity is persecuted in a lot of countries, and I've watched some of it. I watched in, in Santiago, Chile, where uh, uh, some federales, now I said, how do you tell the federal police from the, from the uh, regular police? He said, the federal police don't have uniforms, they have guns hanging on there, and they're pretty vicious. And I watched him jerk a man out of the car, throw him down on the ground, and then beat him down there, and I said, what did he do? He said, probably not much. We don't have that much here in America. In Israel, you can lose citizenship by converting to Christianity. In England, churches are taxed to pay for the Anglican churches, and Baptists cannot have churches, they can have chapels. We have great blessings here. And then America has great religious opportunities. We can go to a concert, we can have services, we can have a Christian school. We can do a lot of things here in this country that cannot, are not allowed or are greatly restricted in other countries. And we've never fought a war of aggression on our shores. Oh, we've had Pearl Harbor, we had 9-11, those are horrible times. We never had a, a, an army come here and land on our soil and fight land of aggression. 
We gave freedom to many countries, Philippines, Cuba. We gave and still give millions, billions of dollars to other nations, and we have suffered little compared to what other nations have suffered during war. Been to France several times, and Germany, and Holland, and Belgium, and England, and all these countries. We could see some of the damage that was done still. We could see in the buildings that came from the blitzkrieg of the German plane bombing England. We've not had that here except for 9-11 in Pearl Harbor. And then we have much to be thankful to God. But all of that said, we are drifting rapidly from God. David said in Psalm 33:12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Proverbs 14:34, Solomon says, righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And in our country, more than half of our people say there are members of churches. And Paul Harvey says, more than, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people in the United States taking a Sunday morning bath without coming clean. A lot of church members, but no change in their life. No description of, of a, what a Christian ought to be. And our government is not as Christian as our forefathers anticipated. Once churches were an asset. I could remember that nobody would ever rob from a church. Thieves would never break into a church. Not so anymore. If they think there's something in a church, they'll do it. Once the, the public schools taught the Bible and prayer, the churches were the meeting houses. The pastors were the first teachers. And they taught the McGuffey readers, biblical readers. What did we learn? Tom is a boy. Jane is a girl. Tom runs after Jane. Jane doesn't run away. Not in a McGuffey reader. Look at the world. Who made the world? Look at the trees. Who created those trees? They were biblically based. And in 1962 and 1963, God was voted out of our government schools by the Supreme Court. And it began a slippery slope. 1973, the Supreme Court, by twisting the meaning of the Constitution, made it legal to murder innocent babies. And since that time, over 70 million babies have been murdered in our country. And one of the great things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6 is the taking of innocent life. And what more picture of innocent life is a child growing, protected by his mother, and yet snatched from that wound and put to to death. Now they're saying you can abort a baby anytime and only the next step is after the baby's born you can kill the baby. We're living in a frightening country and God sees all that and God is angry with America and that's why those of us need to do whatever we can to try and stop this murder across our country. Back in morally America is rapidly declining. Back in 1787 a fellow named Edward Gibbon wrote, Gibbon wrote The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. He, say, he said there were five main reasons why Rome fell back in 476. They fit America today. Number one, he said, the rapid increase of divorce, the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of society. And I would say the undermining of the sanctity of life. Secondly, he said, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public monies for free bread and circuses of the people. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure, sports becoming every year more and more brutal. Fourth, the building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy was within the decadence of the people. Five, the decay of religion, faith fading into mere formalism, losing touch with life and becoming impotent to guide the people. George Santayana said, those who 
cannot remember the past are destined to relive it. And it is. Behind the rapid decline or the breakdown of biblical convictions that do it, government decisions are supported by the people. I said several times during this pandemic, we Americans are followers. We're like Pied Pipers, and we're following for fear and blind obedience. Some people in the government tell us to do this, and after a while we, felt, we found, well, that wasn't even necessary. And we need to stop being blind leaders, blind followers to the leaders, and ask ourselves, is this the right way to go? That's what they did in the past. They got together and decided, is this the right way? Is this law the right law? There are few Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches. There are 400,000 churches in America, and very few of them are preaching the Word of God. Very few of them are preaching against the sins of the world. Very few of them are preaching all the scriptures. Before the covenant, the COVID pandemic, only one-third of churches in the United States had, had Sunday evening services. Now it'll be gone before long. There's little preaching against the sins of society. Pastors are frightened today. They don't want to lose people. They don't want the offering to go down. They don't want somebody picketing the church or breaking windows or burning on the church. And there are a lot of reasons to be concerned about that. Someone said, the pulpits have failed the churches and the churches have failed the country. This is an interesting quote. Strange times are these in which we live when old and young are taught falsehoods in school and the person that dares to tell the truth is called at once a lunatic and a fool. That could easily be a quote from 2021, but that's a quote by the Greek philosopher Plato in 427 BC. So changes will always live the same. They say that we start with freedom and then we gradually go down and gradually go down until our freedom is gone and then there has to be some kind of destruction before it can come back up again. May be there. So God will judge America. Second Chronicles 7:19 says, But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you, and shall go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I pluck them up by the roots out of my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name will I cast out of my sight, and will make it a proverb and a byword among the nations. And this house which is high shall be an astonishment to everyone that passeth by it. And so he shall say, Who hath why hath the Lord done this unto this land and unto this house? And it shall be answered because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them forth out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore hath he brought all this evil about. God judged the nations of the Old Testament and God will judge America. Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever. What does God want us to do? Micah 6, 8 says, He that showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and love mercy, and walk humbly before the God. Do right, take care of others, and walk humbly before, before God. What we need to do, Brother West quoted it earlier, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. That's needed in our churches here in America. Jesus said in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We need to get back to Bible preaching, Bible living, 
churches. We need to get back to the sanctity of the family and life. We need to get back to good citizenship when God's people get involved in government and try to straighten out. We need to get back to biblical salvation. Today, July 4th, we emphasize the freedom in our monument, the Statue of Liberty. But we have a greater monument as Christians. We have the cross. And Jesus came to earth to die on the cross to save sinners. And nobody is ever going to get to heaven who doesn't accept Jesus Christ as Savior. So the scripture said we need to realize we're sinners, that we sinned against God, and we need to realize that the wages of sin is death, hell, which is forever and ever and ever. And we're not saved by doing good works, by being baptized. Those are wonderful things. Not joining a church, that's a wonderful thing. Not doing good works, that's a wonderful thing. Those are the things that Christians do after they're saved. We're created spiritually unto good works. So if you've never been saved, you just need to realize that you're a sinner. Realize that nothing you can do to get you to heaven. Realize that Jesus came to earth to die on the cross for you. And if you just reached out and admitted your sin and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I accept you as my Savior. And to the best of your ability, you'll do what God wants you to do. You'll get involved in a good church like Grace. You'll study your Bible. You'll do what God wants you to do. Father, thank you for this great nation you've given to us. I think we take so much what we have for granted. And I've seen in other countries the things that they had and things they did and the restrictions that the government placed upon them and realized that we didn't have that in America and, and that I took a lot for granted. And, and yet it's getting far worse. We're getting farther and farther away from the word of God, away from our founding fathers, away from the blessings that you give us. And I pray, Lord, like Jefferson, that we tremble for our country because you are a just God and you cannot allow us to continue with our, our gods and continue murdering babies and continuing allowing perversion to spread through our country. You cannot allow that to go on. And I pray you'll bless the church, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you, to love people, to want to win souls to Jesus, and to, to live a life that's pleasing to you. Not what we think is right, but Lord, as we study the scriptures and see what you want us to do and do that. Thank you for this great country of ours and for your blessings. And we pray you'll continue to bless America. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Wes is here. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Gary. What a challenging message this morning and informative message. I learned a lot about my country uh, this morning. And uh, Pastor Gary enumerated for us all of the incredible ways that God has blessed uh, America. And so I want us to close our service this morning by singing once again, God Bless America. Uh, and as I, I prayed earlier, Pastor Gary has just prayed that God would heal our country uh, and bring us to repentance so that he can bless us. So let's sing the song with that uh, kind of an idea in mind. Just before we do that, let me just mention uh, our picnic or our, our luncheon uh, after our service again. So as soon as we're finished here today, uh, you can go ahead and just make your way over to the, the fellowship hall. Uh, the food will be over there, and uh, if you're one of the first people over there, just go immediately to the line and, uh, and, and get your food, and uh, if you're not one of the fortunate ones who gets over there first, uh, find your place at a table and then, you know, go up and get your food. Uh, we're going we're gonna to head over there as soon as we're done here with our service, and so um, 
Let's go ahead and let's, we're going to sing this and then I will pray and ask God's blessing on our food today. So let's stand as we sing God Bless America. God bless America. Father, we do want to close our service today by once again asking you, uh, Lord, if it, if it be possible to restore our country and to restore us to repentance and to godliness so that you can bless us uh, once again, Lord. And we just pray uh, that you would bless our food together this afternoon and bless our time of fellowship. I pray that everything that we do and say in our conversations would be glorifying to Christ and edifying to one another. Thank you for the food that we will uh, partake of in just a moment. Uh, Dismiss us with your blessing this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.